Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. universe be calm now your time has come accept the judgment of the phoenix did you think you'd live forever you little speck those immortal words spoken by the most important comic book character of all time bar none no questions asked and nobody can argue with me because i lead the show first truly echo the sentiment of incoming which oh my god my brain that last page but before that we have a little bit more marvel 1000 to get to and of course by we i mean the team here at x's for podcast hey everybody i'm nico i'm dylan i'm kyle i'm regina and i'm jonah and we hope you survive the experience unlike some scrolls yeah i was totally chill with it when the x-men were like everybody's got a flower everybody's got a horse nay right and i was like okay that's not too warren ellis from trees and then everybody just gets a giant tree in their body, and I'm like, mm-mm. We are, of course, here today to talk about the future of the Marvel Universe, an incoming future unlike any other. We took a look at the first, like, 30 years of the Marvel Universe, and we have an enormous amount of time ahead of us. But before we can rush toward that, this is our full We Are Krakoa team for the new season, and I couldn't be more excited. So I want to dig in just a little bit into what we've been talking about. I've enjoyed so much taking a look back at these eras of X-Men and Marvel at large, and... You know, it just kind of reminded me how much I love Daredevil. The Daredevil pages were all really well put, and it just kind of reminded me what it is about Daredevil I love. Not to mention, seeing some really cleaned up Cable Liefeld art felt really natural for the story they were trying to tell. I really appreciated the Emma page with her diamond form and the team combustible. Oh, I loved that. I thought it was a really beautiful page. I thought everyone kind of in their own way shown, and I have a new, my friend of the pod, Tabitha, and it just made me think of Grant Morrison's new X-Men and how much I enjoyed that run, and I would go back and reread that. That's actually what I pulled my opening line from. There's something so ferocious and palpably savage about what we've been looking at, whether it's a thousand or incoming, this sense of dread and impending doom that really resonated with Here Comes Tomorrow for me. I, for one, don't think I've seen two consecutive pages of Night Thrasher in a decade. The 1001 issue gave a lot of spotlight to a handful of characters. Night Thrasher hasn't been in comics in quite some time. Like you said, they really showcased a lot of things that haven't been shown in a while. The Rob Liefeld art for X-Force. This is probably the best X-Force art that Liefeld has made in a while, and he's actually made some more recently, and it was not that good. Kyle, if anybody would show a strong, warm reception to these romance characters and this idea that comics can be about strong, dynamic, interpersonal relationships between women, you're the founding member of X's for Podcast who's like, nope, stand that. Stand that hard. Was it at least <laughs> enjoyable getting to 
find out about the wealth of lovable ladies from Marvel's Merry Many Years? Yeah, they seem to be pretty interesting. I'd like to maybe learn a little bit about them. You know, I'll take it. I- <laughs> I'll take it because you it. came into this pretty. I want to burn them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you seemed pretty desperate to give these comics to Cap for him to light them on fire, <laughs> right? Yes. So I'm pretty relieved that I've gotten you to at least not archive your digital copies right off your account. (laughs) Okay. Regina, one of the things that I was really concerned about with 1000, especially when I felt like it wasn't showcasing a fair wealth of the characters across the board, I was just really concerned that it was going to show an uneven presentation of the creatives behind the scenes, but whether it was a thousand and one with one of the most unbelievably talented writers at Marvel right now, Vita Alea, they are just out of this world, incredibly talented, or seeing classic figures like Anne Nascenti show back up. I, for one, was happy with seeing some positive inclusion. As a woman, how did you feel? I think it would actually be much nicer if we could get it closer to 50-50. Amen. Given the rate of actual writers and artists that are male versus female, I don't know that we can quite get there yet. I did like a lot of the pages that I saw. In 1001, one of my favorite pages is the New Warriors page. We get to see Namorita and Silhouette, and they're not really top-tier characters, but I keep going back to that page and just looking at it, and I love that page so much. And in 1000, you know, the page that showcases America Chavez, I love that page. It's a beautiful page. The art is beautiful. The writing is beautiful. Hopefully we will get there, but we just don't have the numbers yet. And it's going to take a lot more female writers and female artists getting, unfortunately at this point, lucky enough to break in. As more and more women are entering comics, they're making sure to pull up every woman they can along the way. I I hear all these great stories from women and non-binary folk in comics where they say they got in through a woman in the industry. There was a non-binary editor at a small publishing house who gave them their first book. And it's just such a great celebration to know that there really is a strong current trying to make that change, trying to push us to where we need to be. Because I agree, until we're 50-50, it all seems kind of like bullshit. So let's keep pushing. And we have such strong writers in the past, Anne Nascenti, and now we have Leah Williams and G. Willow Wilson. It's like these ladies are becoming really huge players players and big powerhouses in the industry. And I hope we continue to see them opening doors for other women and non-binary people. We just need those voices so much in today's world. There would be massive changes to the Marvel line. In 1971, Marvel began pushing crossovers like nobody's business. In 1971, Red Wolf headlines Marvel Spotlight number one. Which plays out a lot better than in November, Marvel decided to try and raise the price of their books from 15 to 25 cents and raise the page count in their defense from 36 to an unfucking believable 52 monthly pages? What? (laughs) That's a lot of pages. They nearly doubled the price. I mean, that's crazy. So that did not work in the one month they did it. And they went back down to 20 cents and 36 pages. They went back to the original page count, but they went up in price. It's also worth noting in front of people that the Defenders debuted and the Kree Scroll War would begin. Savage Tales, Squadron Supreme, and Morbius would also all make their debut this year. In 1972, Tomb of Dracula is launched. Okay, but also Luke Cage. Like... A ghost writer anybody can recognize. Night Nurse. Werewolf by Night. 
Beast turns blue and like gray, but blue, but gray. It's one of like, I just don't. Who approved this? <laughs> who said you've done it? You found the notables. I think at least for this one it was just them trying to show that, hey, Dracula is a part of Marvel Comics. So for anyone that might be buying Marvel 1000 and doesn't know the Dracula and mysterious things like that are in Marvel Comics now does know. I appreciate your kindness. <laughs> <laughs> and in a page that made me really upset, in 1973, Gwen Stacy breathes her last breath in Amazing Spider-Man number 121. I really think we can just change that year from 1973 to 1970 misogyny, because that year, like, violated women on every level. Night Nurse, Shanna, and Millie were all cancelled, as well as Gwen Stacy dying. That's unfuck. I wouldn't want to be a woman and try to read comics at that point. What a way to say that women don't matter. We're also talking about an era where women weren't even allowed to get credit cards without their husband's permission. You know, it's just kind of heartbreaking when you look back and you you see Marvel was actually trying to do something. Maybe on some level it succeeded or it didn't succeed. But in this one year, you just have so much loss for women in this world. And there are women during that era that were doing works in the industry. It was very hard for them. And we see that much later as well. But man, 1973 sucked. <laughs> it really did. And it also brought about a weird change in comics. There were two major crossovers that need to be referenced. The Avengers Defenders War, which tied those two teams together for the first time. But then there was the first ever Marvel DC meta crossover. Amazing Adventures number 16 and Thor 207 present a Marvel portion of a metafictional unofficial crossover spanning titles from both major companies. But each comic featured writers Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway, and Len Wein, as well as Wein's first wife, Glynis, who was a colorist at Marvel for many years and colored most of the X-Men we've read, talking about women who had to struggle to make it through the industry. And they interacted with Marvel or DC characters at the Rutland Halloween Parade in Rutland, Vermont, beginning in Amazing Adventure 16, going to Justice League of America 103, and then back to Thor. So it was quite a uh, weird decision to make to kick women out of comics and write a bunch of men in. <laughs> Just wow. In 1974, everyone's favorite, or least favorite, short stack, Wolverine, is introduced in Incredible Hulk number 180. I would like to thank 1974 for giving me everything I ever needed in my life. 1974 also saw the Thanos War crossover, as well as the launch of the giant size line as an entire idea. We wouldn't be able to make the joke giant size man thing without that, so I'm very grateful. <laughs> In 1975, the Punisher's origin is revealed in Marvel's preview number two. Okay, no, no, this one bothers me. Also, Giant Size X-Men number one. Yeah, and, yeah this you one know, really bothered me as well. And the champions, I guess. And while, yes, we are an X-Men podcast, and not to sound like a fanboy, but Marvel 1000 showed a distinct lack of important X-Men events. Not to say the Punisher doesn't deserve his own page at some point throughout this, because he does. The X-Men have done so much, and if there was going to be at least one, if not two pages, I really thought should have been in them. Giant size X-Men probably should have been here, considering that was the start of it getting popular. I agree with Jonah. If, if they were going to skip X-Men's debut, and then there's the fact that for years after that, the X-Men comics were not as popular, and then that's why they got canceled. They should have at least focused and showcased giant size for 1975. In 1976, White Tiger gets his own series in Deadly Hands of Kung Fu number 20. I love you, Hector. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one that does. Well, I mean, 
it's a whole lot better than the thing they highlighted in the fucking shuffle. I just, number one, stop giving Howard Chaykin work. Seriously, he is one of my all-time heroes, and if I could get back to when Howard Chaykin made art worth reading and it wasn't all transphobic nightmares, right, I'd be thrilled. But to give him, a, this, this man who has taken this weird journey into superhuman transphobia, to give him a page where he gets to bring up one of his weird 70s creations, like, okay, even I'm like, Monarch Starstalker is fucking obscure. Okay, this page upset me. Howard Chaykin, until I was like 25, was one of my all-time favorite comic book creators, but the man has verged so deeply into transphobia, I think it's time for a cancel stamp. Also, Howard the Duck, the Celestials, the Eternals, Bullseye, Jigsaw, Nova, Star-Lord, Spider-Man got a second book. Other stuff happened, too. In 1977, Star Wars number one is the first Marvel comic since the Golden Age to sell over a million copies. Why is this here? Moving on! <laughs> well, hold on. Because we can insert shuffle number five in here with one of my favorite pages of Nightcrawler dismantling a sentinel and being, you know, his charismatic, goofy self. But I don't think this was kind of necessary for inserting it in this year. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Nightcrawler didn't do anything notable at this point in time. But that's the only year that he wore that costume with the Sentinel having that design. Not that I don't love everything about what Anacente and Kim Jacinto did for this page, because I really, really, really love it. And I'm so happy he got included in his own page. I would just prefer it be from a year where he actually did something notable. Speaking of people who did notable things, though, Black Panther number one, his first self-titled series. Spider-Woman debuted. X-51, the Machine Man, debuted that year. What, what the fuck? What the fuck? Why did it go to Star Wars? I'm so mad. <laughs> In 1978, James McDonald Hudson debuts as Weapon Alpha in Uncanny X-Men number 109. Ooh, 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 ooh. Alpha Flight! <laughs> Alpha Flight! And if you don't make it onto Alpha Flight, you can be on Beta Flight! And if we don't make it onto Beta Flight, we'll be on Gamma Flight! And if we don't make it onto Gamma Flight, we'll get killed by the Collective. I thought we were just going home. That's true. We're just going to get back in the Winnebago. <laughs> I do just want to point out that this year, Power Man joined up with Iron Fist and they became a shared title, which would go on to change the face of the Marvel Universe. It's also important to note that two of the all-time most important characters to the political landscape of the Marvel Universe both breathed their first comic breaths this year. Both Ben Urich and Mystique made their debuts this year. And I think it would be a mistake not to cover both of them. Ben Eric's not the only Eric to contribute massively to the larger picture of the Marvel Universe. And Mystique has come to define a generation of X-Men fans. In 1979, Night Raven is introduced by Marvel UK and Hulk comic number one. Okay, is anybody else on this show even remotely familiar with Night Raven? Ne nope. Negative. Any relation to Le Peregrine? <laughs> <laughs> no, so Night Raven is the most fucking unbelievable character in the whole universe. Night Raven started as a pulp character, right? Just like a standard normal pulp character, but then over time, they just kind of kept overwriting him and overwriting him, and he became mystically linked to his, they call her this, Oriental Nemesis. Oh and no. They, <laughs> oh my god. So they become linked through time, and he can't die till she's dead. But it like drives him nuts, and then he fades into obscurity and then they do this one shot where they bring him back in the 90s and marvel like the next day was like yeah that's that's out of continuity he gets a, a sidekick disciple called nocturne and then they were like no nah, it's a better name we can't give it to him and i wouldn't if i were marvel i would never have acknowledged this character exists <laughs> 
Oh, also, speaking of transphobic nightmares, Miller takes over Daredevil. God, my list of 70s heroes all taken from me. So sad. Oh, also, speaking of things taken from people, Rawhide Kid, Captain Marvel, Howard the Duck, and Black Panther were all canceled this year, but it did see the inclusion of two very different kinds of black, War Machine and Black Cat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ducking. Oh. Oh. In 1980, She-Hulk is born in Savage She-Hulk number one. Now, before Nico tells everybody else what happened this year, again, not that I don't think She-Hulk deserves her own page. It's really important. I love She-Hulk. She's a really, really, really great character, and I encourage anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to read one of her runs, please do so, because it's such a fascinating and enjoyable experience. However... There's a much more important event that happened, and I feel like that should have been highlighted. Nico, would you like to tell everybody what that was? Absolutely. Beast appeared in Marvel Team Up number 90. (laughs) Okay, but anything else? I know it's super important. We can't get away from that. Oh my god, I'm so stupid. Nightcrawler appeared in Marvel Team Up number 89. There's gotta be something else important. Duh! We found out that Amanda Sefton is a sorceress! Yes, that's what it is. Amanda Sefton should have had her own page. Something about getting DP'd? Was that what it was? The getting DP'd saga? Oh my god. That's what it is? Well, someone gets DP'd, metaphorically, maybe physically too, if she I, asked for it. Well, I, I imagine that Mastermind had like, even, like, I have to assume that Emma, even if she was unconscious, was like, like, oh, we're ganging up on Mastermind? A couple of extra blasts. Like, I just have to assume that's how that went. Oh my, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, Dark Phoenix Saga. That happened. <laughs> See spiel of when Giant Size X-Men number one was created. <laughs> In 1981, Iron Man battles Doctor Doom in Invincible Iron Man number 150. Who cares? Elektra debuted. Stick debuted. John Byrne took over the Fantastic Four. Spider-Man met Superman. Who cares? Yeah, this is one of them that feels a little random. Not that Doctor Doom isn't an important villain and character within Marvel history. It's just weird that this was included as opposed to, I don't know, Iron Man's actual villains because Doctor Doom is a Fantastic Four villain. That just seems weird. In 1982, Hercules headlines his own future set limited series. Okay, or Marvel graphic novel number one, The Death of Captain Marvel, or Wolverine 1 through 4, or The Formation of Epic Comics, or the first Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries, or the new mutants Monica Rambeau and Cloak and Dagger all debuting. Any of those things! Oh, and the Contest of Champions. No, that should have been buried and we're not mentioning that again. No, we have to mention it because it's the most uncut superheroes ever gathered in one place. (laughs) What I think is probably the most random fucking inclusion. (laughs) In 1983, Storm drastically changes her look in Uncanny X-Men number 172. Hey, Jonah, you need to calm down and be happy that they gave an X-Men character a spotlight. (laughs) And I love her so much, but it's always Storm. That being said, I don't think... This didn't need to be included. <laughs> but wait, what did what should have been here, honestly, what should have been here is everybody's favorite horse. Well, I mean, technically, he is not a horse. But Beta Ray Bill first debuted in my my still lovable legend hero, Walt Simonson's Thor run. Also, because we just covered it, and I know a bunch of us love it obsessively, the Ileana miniseries took place this year. So it's kind of cool to see the X-Men start to get a rolling kind of ball of miniseries. I'm so glad that we're doing this because this was also the year that saw the x-men event the wedding kind of you know crossing overs so regina you know of course your queen tied the knot to a bad bad man and 
you know, that's what happened. I guess my only real problem with it is that it's stating that Storm dramatically changed her look when it's really more about Storm changing who she is as a person and understanding fundamentally what it means to be a hero and her own personal beliefs and how to cross those two. So are you saying that you feel like once again a woman was told to change her hair? Absolutely. I'm with you. In 1984, Spider-Man gets his new black costume in Amazing Spider-Man number 252. Oh my god, enough with Spider-Man already. Until it's one of the Latino ones, I just don't care anymore. So much wide. Also, Marvel launched Star Comics, which was their children's comics imprint. It would see things like Smurfs and weird things that never really worked and magical bear things. But, you know, really, again, I just did the fuck Secret Wars. What were they thinking with this list? That was actually something I was thinking about of how big of an event that was, why no page was dedicated to it. It was a really, really, really weird, like, shock for me. I was equally shocked that they didn't include Secret Wars 2 the next year. In 1985, Odin gives his life to end the Suter Saga in Thor number 353. It's just like, you could have talked about Secret... I mean, I wouldn't want to talk about Secret Wars 2 either. But you could have talked about Secret Wars 2 and that's where you put Walt Simonson's Thor... Oh, Longshot and Mojo debuted that year. Woo! Like Dazzler boyfriend with Longshot? Yes. Oh, I am so proud of you. You just referred to Longshot as Dazzler's boyfriend. <laughs> World, take note. You should start referring to insignificant male heroes by their much more important girlfriend's name. <laughs> Do you do that with celebrities? I'm encouraging it. In 1986, the How Are the Duck movie is released. <laughs> so the reason I love this is because this was like they were told this was Sophie's choice. I mean, they had to choose whether to talk about the failure of the new universe or they had to talk about Howard the Duck. Those were their choices. Yikes. The movie that lost them the most money or the comic imprint that lost them the most money. The new universe was Marvel's attempt at forming an entirely new Marvel Universe. How on the nose. Didn't work. It was very dramatic. Uh, The Kickers Incorporated page, the 24th page of the shuffle, is connected to that. Moreover, this year was probably better known for the incredible change in status quo for the X-Men of the Mutant Massacre, the return of Jean Grey, which of course resulted in the debut of X-Factor. And it's important to keep in mind that 1986 is considered the holy grail year of comics. It changed comics forever, whether it was the Dark Knight, Batman Year One, the starting of Watchmen, the Daredevil trilogy. It was really the biggest year for comics ever. And that Daredevil trilogy all came out here in the form of Daredevil Born Again, Elektra Assassin, and Daredevil Love and War. So 1986, they had so many good things to pick from, so many shitty things to pick from, and this is what they did. In 1987, Spider-Man vs. Wolverine number one is published. Okay, also X-Men vs. The Avengers 1 through 4 are published. Peter Parker marries Mary Jane. Johnny Storm marries Alicia Masters. Oh, or how about editor-in-chief for a decade, Jim Shooter, is unceremoniously fired and replaced by then-random writer Tom DeFalco. Oh, and of course, the most important thing to happen that year was Fallen Angels. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised Fallen Angels didn't get their page. I only understand that Mary Jane didn't get her wedding page because she gets her own special page later on. But still, I would think they want to celebrate like their most iconic or most recognizable character's first wedding. 1988 introduced a character I'd never heard of until reading this. Speedball makes his premiere in Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 22. So Speedball is one of those characters that his name is ridiculous. His name just should be Cokehead. He's so dumb. 
Um, Marvel also this year closed Star Comics to focus a little bit more on things like Wolverine, Marvel Comics Presents Excalibur, etc. Venom debuted this year as well, and we got the annuals crossover of Evolutionary War. In 1989, Damage Control gets its first limited series. Why? No, no one needed to know this! (laughs) Also, the New Warriors, that cute little Nicieza Bagley page. So, like, you know, for people who love the New Warriors, that's the original creative team, man. That had to be awesome. It also saw the collapse of the new universe, as well as the Saga of the Serpent Crown and Atlantis Attacks crossovers. In 1990, Night Thrasher leads the New Warriors in New Warriors number one. Man, they really wanted to push this team for a little bit. I also would like to point out that that year saw the Acts of Vengeance crossover, as well as the Extinction Agenda, which really, for all intents and purposes, ended the Claremont era. The new Fantastic Four debuted, and it was a big hit for two issues. Additionally, Todd McFarlane launched Spider-Man number one. Frank Miller did Electra Lives Again. We saw the return of Days of Future Past in the form of Days of Future Present, and Gambit and Cable both made their debut. In 1991, the New Mutants become X-Force in New Mutants number 100. But there's also that shuffle page of Storm as, like, Lil' Ro, and she's, like, having a bad day out in the rain, and everybody's like, oh, poor Lil' Ro! Uh, also, X-Men debuts? Has anybody heard of that book, X-Men? <laughs> I'm not oh. familiar. And the Infernal Gauntlet! I just... <laughs> <laughs> In 1992, Eric Larson becomes the regular writer and artist on Spider-Man. So, you know, we also got Operation Galactic Storm, The Rise of the Midnight Suns, The Infinity War, Marvel 2099 launched. What else? Oh, Image Comics launched. But I think the most important thing was that Marvel put out an official kid and play comic. (laughs) Flat top up! In 1993, Wolverine and the Punisher, Damaging Evidence, is published. Also, there was that focus on Daredevil thanks to the success of Miller's The Man Without Fear. And there's that kind of cute Jubilee and Logan page that clearly comes from the Hama era. But I was kind of more surprised that they didn't bring up Infinity Crusade, which was the end of the Infinity Saga. The Mistech Wars that ended Marvel UK. The Siege of Darkness that they didn't bring up. Maximum Carnage, which changed comics forever. Really, I know I'm being humorously over the top. but a number of these exclusions are bothering the crap out of me. Here's an exclusion to maybe make Dylan's blood boil. In 1994, the infamous clone saga begins in the Spider-Man titles. The reason this would, of course, make his blood boil is that means they just decided to skip Generation X launching. It did make me very angry when I read that because the 90s were like the year of X-Men comics. There should have been more inclusions of X titles in these pages. And also, if I can get a little bit morbid and sad for a second, Jack Kirby passed away on February 6th, 1994. And I know he was no longer with the company and there was a lot of bad blood, but to not take a moment and say Jack Kirby passed away the same year that Marvel created Marvels, the ultimate tribute to his work is just a shame. So thank you for everything you gave us, Jack Kirby, you know, friend of the pod, ghost of Jack Kirby. In 1995, the X-Men titles enter the Age of Apocalypse. Okay, my favorite thing, though, is this is, like, clearly a page from Hickman's X-Men now! It really is. That image is actually... This whole page, in the middle of the page, we get to see a panel of Apocalypse's first horsemen, and this is actually the first time we've gotten a clear image of what those four look like. In all of House of X and Powers of Ten, they only showed them from behind and in shadows. And let's just remember that this was the year that Marvel said the Punisher doesn't work anymore and canceled his wait, count them three titles. Bum, bum, bum. 
1996, Captain America and three other core series are relaunched as Heroes Reborn. Yeah, this is that famous image of Captain America stripped naked with the tiny little penis, right? So that's <laughs> that image. But also... How about Marvel versus DC? How about, oh, this, it was that weird book. What was it called again? Onslaught! <laughs> I'm so tired of getting mad! In maybe arguably the most important year in which I was born, 1997, <laughs> Deadpool receives his first ongoing series. Yeah, and I only really want to prop this up because it was Gail Simone who got to write the page, and Gail Simone is pretty much considered the most beloved Deadpool writer of all time, and anybody who didn't check out her Domino series is insane because that is one of the best things I've ever read, and it would be a mistake not to point out that that was the year that gave us Flashback Month, negative one. In 1998, Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti launched the Marvel Knights imprint. And, you know, 1988 wasn't like a really big to-do year. We saw the return of the all-different, all-new X-Men back into the core titles with the cancellation of Excalibur, but moreover, we saw the launch of MC2, which is a line I really liked. Hmm. In 1999, Incredible Hulk ends with issue number 474. And David Mack took over Daredevil from Kevin Smith, which again, changed comics. That guy would go on to win Emmys for his work on Dexter. So that's definitely a notable. In the year 2000, Chris Claremont returns to write the X-Men with X-Men issue 100. In that same year, we have the Nefario Protocols as the primary crossover. You know, the year 2000 really was all about Ultimate Marvel. Now, I don't know if everybody's familiar with this, but there's kind of a question as to what the first book of the Marvel Universe was actually intended to be. Now, most people accept that Ultimate Spider-Man kicked off the Ultimate Universe in the year 2000. But if you ask Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy starring the oh my god, my penis hurts when I look at him sexy, Novar, was actually meant to be the first ultimate title. So kind of an interesting question of what really is the first ultimate book. I would agree with the Novar being sexy comment. <laughs> in the year 2001, Jessica Jones makes her debut in Alias issue number one. In that same year, Maximum Security was the major crossover. That crossover, man. It's one of those ones that's going to live on in infamy forever. I don't know if it was meant to be as messy as it was. I can't imagine Kurt Busiek and Chris Claremont went into this thing saying, let's tell something really hard to follow. You know, that can't be anybody's intent with a crossover. But it did actually lead to the X-Men forcing a revamp altogether. That same year saw Grant Morrison, Chris Claremont, and Joe Casey come together in the X offices to begin the work that would become New X-Men, Extreme X-Men, and an ill-fated run on Uncanny. In 2002, Elsa Bloodstone takes over monster hunting from her dead father. The major event in that same year was Infinity Abyss. Okay, and like, yeah, 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 yeah. But also, Kurt Busiek ended a really beautiful five-year run on Avengers. I feel it's a little bit unfair that his contributions to Marvel are really overlooked here. Really, they were not focused on anything in Marvel but the X-Men in 2002. I want to learn everything about Elsa Bloodstone. Yes, amazing. She's one of Tabby's buddies. <gasps> oh my really? god, full circle. Oh, Jonah's getting a whole lot of new friends. Yeah, I love friends. In 2003, manga artist Kia Asamiya illustrates a run on Uncanny X-Men. In 2003, we also saw Ultimate Wars Ultimate 6 and JLA slash Avengers crossovers. But by all means, let's talk about seven issues of Uncanny X-Men. <laughs> 
JLA Avengers was George fucking Perez. Let's sit back and put our feet up and talk about Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men some more. Also, Runaway started. It's hilarious to me that they chose to highlight the manga X-Men issues when there was was not really that much important history for any of the characters that happened at that time, but we're going to showcase that. Yeah, let's really show that off. Actually, one of the major anime artists from the time at Marvel in 2005, the guy who did Power Pack with Mark Summerack, Guruhiru, would come back this year to work on more books at Marvel. I can only hope that this stroll down memory lane is part of what led to that. In 2004, X-23 makes her first Marvel Universe appearance in comics in NYX number 3. In 2004, we also see the Secret War and Avengers Disassembled crossovers. Also, Astonishing X-Men, the best-selling X-Comic in, like, 40 years. I don't know. Joss Whedon? Buffy. Buffy showed up to write (laughs) X-Men, you guys. Buffy came to town and was like, here's what the X-Men is, motherfucker. And they're like, but no. No, no, no. X-23 was a whore once, and let's talk about it. I mean, X-23 has become super popular. I think it is a pretty important note for them to note when she made her first appearance in comics. That's fair. I thought that this was actually a worthy inclusion. In 2005, the Young Avengers make their first appearance. And how could we miss the freaking House of M? Hello, 2005. Also, the new Avengers launched, and I kind of feel like that's a big deal. I also feel like the Decimation was a big deal, and the world at large would at least recognize Extremis. In 2006, Luke Cage marries Jessica Jones in New Avengers Annual Issue Number 1. That same year, we have Civil War and Annihilation crossovers. Also, I stuck the Kare Andrews Spider-Man graveside sequence here. Kare Andrews did Spider-Man Reign that same year, and it's actually a really gripping miniseries. It's where you can see Spider-Man's wrinkly old dick. (laughs) And so I just sort of put it with that the new avengers give the illuminati their own one shot and i'm like "Mm," right and so then i always said i thought that there should have been a bad guy illuminati and it was like the illuminati (laughs) right but then they came up with the cabal and i'm like you said ball In 2007, Amadeus Cho sides with the Hulk against the entire Marvel Universe in World War Hulk. The major crossovers that year were World War Hulk and Annihilation Conquest. I stand Amadeus Cho, like, whoa. (laughs) I agree. And I love everything they've done with this character in the last couple of years. What a great character, positive Asian representation. Also, they shot Captain America to death. That's a thing. (laughs) JMS left ASM. I will say to add to the Captain America getting shot, as we've mentioned, it kind of seems like X-Men were getting the short straw with all these year representation, it kind of seems like Captain America has also kind of gotten the short straw. They've mentioned a few things here or there for him, but not like the super important facts about him. So it kind of seems like Cap is getting the same treatment in Marvel 1000 as much as the X-Men are. Absolutely. That had been Kyle's point in the 1940s by highlighting his serial debut and not his comic debut. That was a weird choice. In 2008, we saw the Iron Man movie being released to be the first movie coming from Marvel Comics Entertainment 
Studios. The same year, we also saw Secret Invasion as the major crossover event. This was the year that Mark Summerack and Gurihiri released their Power Pack Mini, which won like a stupid shit bag ton of awards. As much as I appreciate all of that, The Dark Reign, The Age of Norman Osborn, was one of the most unforgettable fucking things that I've ever read. That was a truly terrifying time in Marvel. Like, I could feel the suspense. As much as I love that Zardsky page, because that Zardsky page is goddamn pop art. I just want to fucking take that and make it a Campbell's soup can. At the same time, I feel like there were better things in the comics to highlight. I know that 2008 and the Iron Man movie were amazing points for Marvel because it was the beginning of their Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I really feel like they should have showcased Secret Invasion or Dark Reign in this because everyone knows about the Marvel movies. Everyone who's not reading comics knows about those movies. I feel like something more comic-centric should have been the showcase for 2008. Moving on to 2009, Adam Brashear, the Blue Marvel, comes out of self-imposed retirement. The major events that year were Utopia and War of Kings. This is probably the year that that Emma Frost page takes place, judging from the fact that this is the costume that she wore on the cover of the matched annual from that year, so it feels reasonable from lining up everybody else's costumes as well that this probably takes place in 2009 during the Utopia era. Additionally, I was a big fan of the mini Marvel Hulks, and this would have been the point in the canon of the mini Marvel Hulks where Red Hulk, Blue Hulk, and Green Hulk were always getting up to trouble, like the Three Stooges. Again, I just got a Daredevil and oop, it was number 500. It would eventually reboot at 512, and we would get the Mark Wade run. Mark Wade, who should be allowed to write everything forever. I don't know, I know that Utopia was a really big deal for a lot of people, but it was not my bag. I enjoyed Utopia mainly just because I liked the fact that the X-Men moved on to a part of Asteroid M, but it wasn't that big of an event for Marvel Comics, so I would agree with your comment on that. I really liked War of Kings because it was a beginning of comics that were mixing the X-Men and Inhumans, but like in a good way, not like that IVX awful crap. I do like things about War of Kings and Kingbreaker. Is that the follow-up? Yes, it is. Yeah, I liked things about both of those, and then Mike Carey played really nicely with those bits of canon when he brought them back at the end of Legacy. Agreed. In 2010, why Mary Jane Watson didn't marry Peter Parker is revealed in Amazing Spider-Man 638. I'm not even going to bother coughing and saying who cares. Very loudly, (laughs) who cares? The major events that year were Doom War, Realm of Kings, The Thanos Imperative, World War Hulks, Shadowland, Chaos War, and Siege. Shadowland is like the pinnacle of bad Daredevil. I don't even hate Andy Diggle. There's this sort of weird thing. Andy Diggle came quickly into vogue writing the amazing The Losers comic, which would go on to be adapted to be an excellent film featuring Chris Evans. Check it out if you get a chance. And I would recommend reading all of The Losers. The Losers was a big hit. It got him a bunch of work. His Hellblazer was poorly received. He was dropped really quickly. He came over to Marvel and he did 12 issues of Daredevil and he masterminded this crossover. And then he was like summarily fired. And I just kind of feel like... Andy Diggle got a really bad rap around this point in comics. He wrote some good stuff, so I don't know what the fuck happened. This was also the year that gave us Kid Loki. In 2011, Miles Morales is introduced in Ultimate Fallout number 4. That same year, the major event was Fear Itself. Fear Itself sucks. Miles Morales rules. As central to this show as anything can be. 
This was the year that saw for the first time in 544 issues. The Uncanny X-Men was canceled. Isn't this when they had the Regenesis? Yes. Yup. Which means that awful, awful chicken nugget is around the corner. (sighs) (laughs) In 2012, Amazing Spider-Man 700 was published. No one cares! cares because in that same year we had abx flaming chicken nugget (laughs) (laughs) i genuinely don't like this crossover i would become despondent reading it people would be like oh my god what's wrong and i'd be like nothing and they'd be like oh my god no you look like your grandmother just died and i'd be like oh no she did and they'd be like oh my god i'm so sorry i'm like no like a couple of weeks ago i'm fine i'm reading a really bad comic book i'm totally gonna disagree with you on this I, I'm really okay with that. I dislike the cosmic chicken nugget, but I did like that we got to see the Phoenix Force show its true power through other hosts. You're basically saying I liked this nugget more because it was a Wendy's spicy <laughs> nugget, right? The Phoenix Force 5 was like a weird Spice Girls movie outtake. I'm fine with that. Emma Frost just goes into people's houses and is like, you did bad. Dead. What? Colossus is that. like... Bang me. Emma was wearing lingerie, Colossus had a skirt, and Namor, you could basically see every little fish in his sea. It was amazing. (laughs) From Namor's net back to AVX, it ushered in an era of everybody in the entire Marvel Universe got to hate on each other and beat on each other, and because somebody else became more evil and more violent the next year, they were instantly forgiven. And that cyclical sense of embraced villain culture, in my opinion, in many ways, led to the sensationalization of the villain identity as a central construct in our society. This idea that we should root for the bad guys even when they're clearly doing wrong, I think had some very dramatic real-world implications a few years after this. And that's actually part of why I kind of thought this villain culture that was building in this era where every good guy was always a bad guy was just too much. I can see that point, so I will not disagree with you too much. In 2013, Cable returns to lead X-Force in Cable and X-Force number one. The major events that year were Age of Ultron and Infinity. Also, that Beast page, I'm going to assume this page goes here. Age of Ultron was actually always meant to be the final chapter of Bendis' Avengers, but Brian Hitch's inability to complete a book on time led to several major delays, including having to draw Emma Frost over all of the Xaviers in the book, because the book was supposed to come out before AVX, but it came out after AVX, and Bendis had killed Xavier at that point. They had to draw Emma Frost over Xavier, because the lesson here is Xavier has, I guess, paid a lot for his body? Or possibly that Emma Frost has the body of a frail old man. I love Jeff Lemire. Seriously, if anybody ever needs to read a book that makes them, like, ache for home, open Essex County. That is one of the most spellbinding pieces of independent art I have ever gotten the pleasure of reading. It It's a life-changing work. And wasn't 2013 Inhumanity, you guys? Wasn't that the year that they told me I had to start liking the Inhumans as more than a really funny incest punchline? Wasn't oh my that God. the year they told Why? me that I had Why to... Why do you have... What? Because Why? they are! They're Why incestuous! Why do you have to go after the Inhumans so much? You know, I'll be honest. I used to be an enormous Inhumans fan. Once upon a time, right? But I really hated Inhumanity. 
Inhumanity led into the new Inhumans book that started at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. Well, speaking of 2014, Marvel began publishing Miracle Man. The original Sin and Axis crossover events. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> Whoop 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 hey whoop 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 hey British disco British disco British disco British disco I love Miracle Man so much I had to throw a rave just now I have talked extensively on this network about Miracle Man Kevin and my's coverage consists of every single motherfucking page you can possibly pretend is Miracle Man. Do not miss our coverage of Miracle Man coming in 2020. Matt Fraction's departure from the Inhuman series left the series scrambling, and that put Charles Sewell in the driver's seat. Okay, Original Sin is one of my favorite pieces of Jason Aaron, and Axis literally made me quit X-Men. Axis for X-Men books was... it, it was... It was something. <laughs> it's quite genuinely some of the worst writing I've ever come across. Like, and I mean, like, I even like a lot of the people that did work at the time. I'm a big fan of Chris Anka. I'm a big fan of Jason Latour. This idea that you can just have your pole position flip. I will say, though, out of access, the one th- thing that I kind of liked about the whole switching of heroes to villains and villains to heroes at the end of it, when they decided to, I guess fix everyone i did like that we got to have a handful of characters like Sabretooth stay inverted and that allowed the x-men and the avengers to allow Sabretooth to be in their ranks in a good way i actually really loved the wolverines and the the death of logan and the logan legacy stuff victor learning to live by the logan code whatever the dicking shit that is <laughs> great having Wolverine be dead and not in 27 issues that came out each month. Except for all the extra Wolverines that we got. (laughs) I like the other Wolverines, Regina. Calm down. (laughs) I miss Albert. Where's Albert? I want Albert and Elsie back. Where's Albert? (laughs) Oh, Elsie B. (laughs) Thank you! Okay, those Wolverines are dumb. In 2015, Doctor Doom takes over Battle World in Secret Wars number two. And the major crossover event in 2015 was Secret Wars. I mean, like, literally all that came out was either Last Days of, or Battle World, or Time Runs Out, or Secret Wars. Every page of everything was Secret Wars. This was when I actually started reading comics. (laughs) And we're better for having you, but... It was confusing. (laughs) Yeah, it was too big. That was actually going to be the words out of my mouth. It was just too big. This Squirrel Girl page kind of can go here like, i don't i'm not current on squirrel girl but is monkey joe back because i'm pretty sure she talks to monkey joe but she references finding out she's not a mutant but that happened after monkey joe was dead so i can't for the life of me figure out where this squirrel girl page goes i enjoyed seeing a sleepwalker page not really but the sleepwalker page could go here because it follows his adventures with the fantastic four even though it's written by his creator pretty cool and Bendis' X-Men saga came to an awkward, stunted conclusion, and we got Riri Williams. Yeah, if you ask me, 2015, the only good thing that we got was Riri. Riri. Riri forever. Rihanna! (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. Wrong Riri. No, both Riri's we support and stand. He is correct. There is never a wrong Riri. And both of them are friends of the pod. Hey, Riri. In 2016, the Deadpool movie is released. And the major event of that year was Civil War 2. 
Deadpool was okay. Civil War 2 was okay. I love this The Champions page, but I only thought this The Champions book was okay. In 2017, Stan Lee appears as the Watcher in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And the major event that year was Secret Empire. Uh, Secret Empire? You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> By contextualizing the art, both the Tigra and Kitty pages go on <laughs> going this year. So I'm just sort of amused that it's Tigra and Kitty. <laughs> and the Machine Man page probably goes here too. But I just want to point out that in 2017, Bendis reestablished the existence of the Ultimate Universe after only getting rid of it in 2015. The Ultimate Universe only got ultimatumed for two years. There is nothing Ulta about any of that. Moving on to 2018, the Silver Surfer once more became the Herald of Galactus in Infinity Countdown issue number four. And the major crossover events that year were Infinity Countdown and Infinity Wars. (laughs) What? No, I'm so tired of this word. I just... No, is this a Mariah Carey divorce song? I'm sorry. But get it together, Marvel. Also, that Spider-Girl page, I I don't know what Spider-Girl she is. If she's like, Webby Gale Spider Shitter, I don't know. But also, thank you so much, Extermination, for getting rid of the Kid X-Men for me. And Death of the Inhumans got rid of the Inhumans for me. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. I'm not happy with anything that just came out of your mouth. I was like, are you telling me the Kid X? I remember having a conversation with Kyle that morning. I was like, are you telling me they're gone? And Kyle, do you remember this? I was like, are you yes. saying they're definitely oh, gone? Yes. Just spoil yes. it for me. Yep. I need you to spoil it for me. And you were like, they're definitely gone. And I was like, I'm coming back. I'm back. I'm back in the X-Men. Yep. <laughs> like, that was that was what kicked things off. Are you okay, Dylan? <laughs> I, I'm not, but... Uh, I like them too, Dylan, so... I loved them, and everybody knows my dislike for Jean. I loved Teen Jean. Like, Teen Jean actually made me want to maybe give a boring, annoying old Jean a chance. I actually love Teen Scott. His solo book with Corsair... That was an amazing book. Yeah, I really thought that was an exciting story, but that would have worked just as well with a singular alternate universe cyclops nothing about that needed to be these time displaced kids that you know we're told for 30 issues if they ever go back it will literally destroy the fabric of reality and then it's all about how if they don't go back it will literally destroy the fabric of reality or maybe the universe will implode it was not a story they knew the ending of when they started it and that made it very hard to watch the messy narrative unfold. I kind of felt like they gave so much depth and character to these five kids in different ways than depth and character had been given to the original five to begin with. Like you said, with the stories with Cyclops and Corsair, Beast learning magic and Iceman coming out because of Jean and (laughs) Teen Angels romance with X-23. I just feel like I really liked the Teen 05 because they gave them different stories for the originals. Jean became more than just the girl. And I really like that for what it's worth. (laughs) It's absolutely worth a lot. And my dislike of the Teen 05 
in no way reflects the overall opinion of the show. The only four people who have read the Teen X-Men, three liked them and one didn't. I'm definitely the minority on that. And I recognize that more than likely, they were shunted away for the sake of clarity of character, rather than have two versions of multiple characters running around simultaneously. It's just a little bit easier to streamline everything back so that John Hickman had the right toys to play with. Again, I love the Inhumans, and this was an awful year. So we can catch up to the year that we are currently in for another couple hours. 2019, the Marvel (laughs) Universe celebrates 80 years of publishing history. The major events of 2019 include Secret Warps, Acts of Evil, Annihilation Saga, and Incoming. You know, you could also kind of toss in that Thanos page, I guess, because it references Endgame. Also, anybody who grew up with any sort of muscle fetish that maybe led to an adult amateur bodybuilding enjoyment, I don't know, maybe you also recognized the Charles Atlas ads in that, listeners out there who masturbated to the same things as a kid. So, maybe, right? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. No, you sure don't. And if anybody was going to write that, thank God it was Frank Thierry. I'm pretty sure I've made an asshole out of myself professing my undying love about Frank Thierry's Weapon X on this show like ten times. I'm not really sure what that deadpool anniversary page in the shuffle mattered, but, you know. I just want to say, the most important thing to happen in 2019 was Hoxpox Docs! Bringing us all of this amazing X-Men redoitiness. Yeah, I know that they needed to showcase that it was the 80th year, but really, House of X and Powers of Ten and Dawn of X was a huge thing for Marvel Comics. Hox Pox Docs, Jonah, that got you reading live. Kyle, that brought you onto this show. Regina, that brought our love together. Dylan, that's why you and I argue constantly about characters. Monet is inferior, so... And character characters that need to try harder. Oh my god, I'm striking out now. So we read so many different things today. So many. Oh boy. Covering Marvel's past through Marvel 1000 and 1001, as well as taking a look at the future of what Marvel wants to give us in Marvel's incoming. How incoming is it? She's pregnant. (laughs) Oh shit. It done came. Oh my god, she's pregnant and we haven't even started the book yet. Now that it has arrived, Kyle, can you be telling our listeners what we'll be covering next time? Sure, on the next uh, episode of uh, We Are Krakoa, we'll be covering X-Men number 4 and Marauders number 5. And that's of course in addition to finally covering Incoming. I feel like Marvel 1000 and 1001 just won't end, oh my god. And until then, Regina, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Instagram at TheRedQueen underscore on IG, and on Twitter at TheRedQueen underscore G. Dylan, where can we find you? Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that is called House of X. Regina also helps me moderate that. You can also find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Kyle, where can everyone find you? Probably trying very hard not to dispose of any evidence of me reading Marvel Comics 1000 and (laughs) 1001. Cap is very grateful for your war efforts. Thank you very much. <laughs> or you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Jonah, where can everybody find you? 
If you want to find me and reach out to me and talk to me or whatever, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network. We're going to be running Star Wars in 2020 Vision Force Legacy over on HTML. If you want to take a look through the archives, you can find us covering all of the Marvel movies as well as the Fox Marvelverse, covering every live or animated interpretation of Jean Grey or the Phoenix Saga to date. Please don't forget to check out Alien Legacy, my favorite, where we took a look at the Alien franchise top to bottom, including all of the Predator and short films. For the holidays, we turned our attention to Rap Battle, easily the greatest TV show ever ever made. It was a cutthroat, incredible look at a thriving, vibrant industry that a lot of people don't realize can get so cutthroat. I mean, you think you understand rapping, but until you really watch Rap Battle, you don't understand how incredibly frightening the world of gift wrapping can be. So don't forget to check those out. From there... It's so true. Please take a look through the archives on X's for Podcast. You can find 70s X-Men Explosion, 80s Mutant Mania, We Are Krakoa, and many, many more, where we cover the X-Men from all aspects. If you like X-Men comics, you might like my comic, which you can check out at KidRiotComics.com, and you can find me pretty much naked most of the time on Instagram, over at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Sometimes I gotta spell it slow to get it right. Until then, fuck. <laughs> we will see all of you on the other side of the Krakoa flower. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.